I'm reminded of this. Uh, I don't know if any of you heard of the painter uh, Max Beckman. He was an abstract expressionist. He was at Washington University, and I talked to some of his um, students who had been students of his. Len knows about Max Beckman. And um, we're, what we were talking about is the problem with language, especially explaining, like, really important stuff. And so Max Beckman, and he, 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 his native language was German, German, and so he had a lot of trouble speaking in English. But he was trying to help this uh, student and um, explain to her what she should be doing. Finally, he grabbed her, which you don't do anymore, I know, but he grabbed her and took her into the next room, which was his studio, pointed to his painting and said, do this. Okay. <laughs> you know, and it's goofy in terms of like, should you do what the master does and all that. But I, yeah. But I think think that I just thought of it in terms of what you really want to say, you know, like what you want to say even to a, a friend, aren't things that words can say, right? Yeah. Melen, we talked about this at one time, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and Mady, I'm wondering how, you know, you as, as a psychiatrist, uh -oh. did you find a limit to what could be done with words uh or did you do many words as a psychiatrist or was it mostly medicine well i learned a lot of english first of all <laughs> it, <laughs> took me, it took me a long time uh, uh i i don't focus on the words so much as to the meaning and the content that it represents to me, I, I think here. Yeah, uh, that seems to be the key, doesn't it? There is a holism in language, actually, and the expression, nonverbal expression, uh, everything is just, uh, it becomes a way of communication. I, I, that's the way I, I look at it. You know, I was you know, being, being here more than 50 years, I was conscious of my accent, you know, and then I talked to a speech pathologist in, 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 the, in, a, in a, one of the child guidance clinics. And she just laughed at me, said, you know, don't even try to correct your accent. Stay where you are. <laughs> <laughs> so... I think it, it's a mixture of, you know, your background, your childhood, where you are, and, you know, which state you are in, actually. You know, I, I think being in Texas more than 40 years, some lawyer in, in a Zoom, you know, meeting in, in a law, law type of issue, he said, you, you have a lot of Texan accent in your language. <laughs> <laughs> I, and I told him, I, I really don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I'm totally. I'm surprised you're conscious of having an accent in the sense that if that you can hear it, you know, like most people don't think they have an accent. No, 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 I don't anymore. Oh, I mean, years, years ago, when I landed, you know, here, uh, that was you know, it was, you know, talking to a speech pathologist, you know, a speech therapist, actually. And she laughed at me, said, you know, just 
just forget it. You, you're fine. <laughs> so, okay, I'm going to share. You want it bigger? I'll make it bigger. How's that? Good. Is that good? Good? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's, okay, well, so we'll, we'll read it in alphabetical order. I'll change my name. Okay, and it will be uh, Cody, Emily, Kim, Mady, and Milena. If, if Kim was not your name, do you know which name would you pick? Alfred. <laughs> In French class, the teacher said, what's your name? And I said, Kim. And, and she said, she said, uh, you can't have Kim in French. Kim. So the guy next to me, my friend, he said, Alfred. So I said, Alfred. And she said, <laughs> Alfred. Oh, so that was cool. So that's my other name, Alfred. Okay. Okay, so Cody. Oh, Cody, would you tell the page number? I guess it's 163. But you're muted. Page 163, regression for growth. When we undertake a great new thing, an inner, an inner anxiety attends us. If we are true to our tasks, we become incompetent. For all, for all our learnings is for the previous work. And now, well now, it is as if we have to run the new way of seeing past the old problems. When we, whenever we have a series of very positive experiences, then we must look for the descent to come. This is not because there's some malign energy in the universe. It is more a rule of nature. Darkness follows light and in turn is followed by light. A field must, a field must lie follow, follow. Autumn must wither the stalks for the new corn to be planted. Oh, uh, wrong. Uh, okay. Go on. Something in us must die before the new may the new way can permeate our lives. That is what happens during the second descent. A composer and musician describe his experiences like this. Whenever I'm composing a new piece, it is the same. I have to go through the agony of not being able to do it. After I've suffered a while, the piece opens up. I keep trying to cut out that stage of incompetence and misery, but it can't be done. And I'm not sure that it, I would want, it, want to do it. The blackness is the door of the creative process. Hmm. What, do you, what do you think about it? You, you made a sound. I mean, that, that seems like the story of my life. No. You know, the, uh, the the darkness and then the light and then the darkness and the light that part yes. or what yes yes because um, it, it, it seems like you know when you're on the high 
and you're confident, then you hit a low, and then it kind of kills that confidence, and then, you know, it, it's just a revolving door. You know, when kids are in preschool, they're getting colds all the time, right, Cody? Right. You have when your kids were very young, did they get colds? Yes. Yeah. And so my my daughter would call every week and I'd say, so how are the kids? And if she said they were great, then I knew next week they'd be sick. And if they were sick, then I knew next week they'd be well. And it went back and forth like that for a few years. Okay, Emily. In inner development, this is an infallible law. We regress, breaking down the old rules before we take the next step. In any creative process, we have to go down into darkness before we can rise up. When we are humble, we don't claim or want to be other than we are. We enter our pain as the door to the next landing of the stair. Well, do you believe this, Emily? Um, yeah, I was thinking about this this morning. I was like, why am I so bad at my job? And then... <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe it's just, that. It's just a new, like, problem that I had to sort of overcome. So, yeah. What, the problem being thinking you're so bad or... No, what? no. Um, there's just, like, a challenge that I'm researching. Oh. and <laughs> Yeah, it's you funny, like... Um, sometimes I can get caught in the, in the inner drama and then the awareness pulls me out of like, what are you doing? Why are you doing this violence to yourself? You're just learning, you know. Humility. The Tao that can be named is not the eternal Tao. And that's kind of what we were talking about, isn't it? In terms of language, if if you can name it, you that's not it. And that's what Mady was saying about feelings rather than 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 thought. I don't think you said thought, but language, Mady. Uh, it's a mixture. <clears throat> mixture, yes. Is that how you read this sentence? This quote Child cannot be named. The Tao that cannot be named is not the eternal Tao. I, you know, I think we, we need to have words. We need to have a way of communication. Uh, it's important. Yeah. But the real essence, it can't be named. There's a wonderful poem by T.S. Eliot called On the Naming of Cats. And he talks about... Melen, do you know the poem? Oh, he talks about all the names that a particular cat has. And then it talks about the one name that it doesn't tell anyone, but when it's in the corner, just kind of contemplating the world, that's the name, you know, that's the name that it's, it's giving itself. That name that it, nobody knows. Humility tries to be objective, but still sympathetic to life. To be humble is to allow the world to strip it down, not to boast or to make claims, not to take success as an accoutrement of the ego or to take failure as a personal wound from the universe. And that's what you were talking about, Emily, right? Yeah, yeah. This is like 
this was my drama at nine o'clock this morning. <laughs> <clears throat> when we are humble, we accept that we sustains that we accept that what sustains us is greater greater than we are and beyond our control. That the times of spirit and the times of soul, the times of gathering and the times of dispersion are not always of our choosing. Humility assumes we are willing to work with adverse fate. It is close to the dark, accepting that from time to time, we go down into night where the world may labor to change us and that our godness as human beings depends on accepting this descent. Humility is different from modesty, which is neutral and effortless, effortless and comes later in the journey. Humility, like meditation, it is, is a discipline that makes an opening for joy. We were never told this as kids, are we? No. Are we? Um, Milan, you want to read? I just read, but I can continue. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I forgot. <coughs> okay. Yeah, I remember now. Okay. Uh, so, Cody. A man has a chronic and intermittently debilitating illness into which he can relapse at the most inconvenient times. Just when he is succeeding at a long cherished plan, for example. Over the years, he has grown cunning in his relationship with his body as if taming a wild animal. This cunning is his respect and humility. When ill health, the fear visitor returns. His first task is to welcome it. To simplify, to enter the illness, merely to have the illness without undue complaint is itself a discipline and a kind of selfless prayer. Here's his description. Sometimes I have to spend hours just, to, just trying to let go of the idea that I shouldn't be sick. That what is happening shouldn't be happening. That can be a very difficult thing to accept. Yeah, especially, you know, depending on the type of sickness. Mm -hmm. This man has had to surrender to his sickness as a fate. Not to quarrel, not even to want to quarrel, not to be on bad terms with the unwelcome guest. He has learned to consult it about his current level of activity, to be in connection with it, as his instructor, as well as his guard. It tells him about the quantity of his energy, the quality of his attention, the degree of freedom he may enjoy. Since this illness persists, the man cannot change his circumstances, yet sickness and confinement do not preclude happiness. To stay with, to undergo, to bless the present moment, is to accept the new form of purgatory. 
softly and humbly, he bends under the task. I'm a little confused. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Can you explain this, Emily? Is it a positive thing that he's doing it? But he's humbly. He stays within the limits of his confinement. He doesn't overextend. <coughs> he accepts the state. Why is it? Why is it purgatory? To bless the present moment. It's illness. And so there's some degree of suffering there, right? Yeah. Hmm. So he's uh, kind of shifting what purgatory is. So you wouldn't exactly call it positive, but it's not as negative as it was. Can you say that? Yeah, I would think that'd be fair. Last week we were reading, I'm sorry. Last week we were reading about purgatory and uh, the loads that you have to carry on, right? Mm -hmm. The joy of human hands. A man was sailing back in through the Golden Gate on a mild winter evening at sundown when his aorta split. At first, it seemed to be a toothache. Is that the word aorta? Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's correct, yes. Then the pain looped around his, my neck and seized me under my collarbone. Where is the aorta? Oh, it extends from heart down to the left, left side down to the abdomen. So why would it seem like a toothache? It's very painful. Oh, just because of the pain, not because of oh, the location. Absolutely. It's like yeah. a dragon. Yeah. I see. At first, it seemed to be a toothache. Then the pain looped around my neck and seized me under my collarbones. And I started to bend over. I felt a need to tell my friends, I like life. It seemed to be a declaration of intent. Under his instruction, his friends <coughs> brought the yacht back. Then the Coast Guard took him to a waiting ambulance. In the hospital, he was misdiagnosed at first and tried to talk the physicians into letting him go home. But one of the doctors was uneasy. She ordered an echocardiogram for early the next morning and it revealed that he was bleeding to death internally. He was rushed into the hospital at the University of California at San Francisco for surgery. As he explained in a voice still ghostly, touched by regions he had recently returned from, the most extraordinary thing was not the severity of being near death. <coughs> I have always relied on myself. I have tried to help others, but have done things alone, and it has worked, more or less. <coughs> but here I could not rely on myself. I fell through the bottom and hands reached out to catch me. Of all the events around my illness, 
That is the most shocking. That is what asks for the greatest change in how I see the world. And everyone does describe a big illness as changing them, doesn't don't they? Through the modification of illness and near death, soul emerged to make make its claim on the man. Mortality gives us our tenderness for the common moments, the while of life. And we are always led back to love and our beautiful helplessness, sustained as we are by what is larger than ourselves. Should I read? Yes. Okay, for our lives have a dimension greater than the heaven. There are, they are not just meditation, prayer, and moving through the uh, clear, uh, glassy air or down. They are also music, work, lingering, uh, fresh La lingerie. lingerie, lingerie. Okay, see, <laughs> <laughs> you, yeah, I, lingerie. Okay, new, new word. Uh, fresh oranges sitting with a friend through a long night of fever and drinking chocolate after. The spiritual work is not just to do the will of heaven, but to find out how to be human, to make a unique life. When we learn far, when we lean far in the direction, direction of the spirit, mortification brings in the soul, which lends to spirit, arms and feet. Soul is how we experience things in this body. With, the, the, with this one life, uh, the gift so precious and desperate. The great things. Yeah, go oh. ahead. The great things in life, death, love, and birth, come at their own pace and do not consider our convenience. The best we can do is align with them. It is no use to complain. We must talk, I mean, we must walk the road before us. In our humility, we do align. We are like the mother who says, I know the baby is coming. Or the great theologian Paul Tillich, who woke up on his last morning and said, today is dying day. <clears throat> the fertility of blindness. Humility leads us to trust. Though we do not know where we are being led. When we trust, 
we accept a rich blindness. Tiresias, the Greek sage, experienced something ordinary mortals do not. The pleasure, if that is the correct word, of being in turn a man and a woman. But to go beyond the ordinary has its horrible costs and ironies. Hera questioned him about whether man, men or women had more pleasure in lovemaking. And when he offered his opinion that women receive more pleasure, the goddess grew angry and blinded him. As compensation, he was then given the gift of prophecy, of special sight. Tiresias in his blindness and the man whose aorta split open in his boat are like the young men in Australia when they are cut open during initiation with clay or ash, then packed in the wounds. They gain knowledge of the sacred ways, but bear the scars to their graves. In the Zen tradition, it is said that there are many kinds of blindness. Mere ignorance is the first and most basic form. Blindness can also be the fruit of the work and inability to see the illusions that govern most people <coughs> and incapacity that we might call profound blindness. When we rest in this kind of blindness, the world opens for us. And a compunct acupuncturist who have trained in Japan once showed me, showed me a piece of calligraphy. It says heart, mind, mirror. Heart, mind, mirror. In Chinese characters, a conventional subject. The idea is that the human heart, mind reflects the light of eternity here and now. But this writing was wild with an extraordinary depth of feeling, conveying both softness and power through the black ink. The calligrapher, the calligrapher is blind, said the acupuncturist. He had been blind for 50 years when he did that piece. <clears throat> Dark, darkness is our foundation, the mysterious source of incapacity and blessings. We return to it again and again. Uh, whenever growth is needed. In blindness, we surrender and rest in the empty, fathomless world. World, the nothing, the no thing that holds us up and where there is nowhere farther down to go, one again, uh, once again, the uh, counter moment begins with the task, 
with the task appears counter moment. Paying the dark. No good deed escapes punishment. Folks saying. Once the second descent is understood, we no longer try so hard to avoid the coming course of human suffering, the routines of daily life, the blindness of the moment when we truly do not know what we must do. Whenever we are on our journey, it is good to acknowledge the dark. One way we do this is by accepting limits. In the practice of meditation, we pay no attention to distractions, no matter how intriguing. Follow the advice Psyche was given when she went into the world of the dead. Such meditation turns us humbly towards the dark. And through it, we pay for our journey. The way Psyche pays the ferryman and the terrible guard dogs Cerberus. Cerberus. When we pay the dark, we save some place in our bright lives for confusion and melancholy. We keep a door op, op, I mean, we keep open a door where the next moment can enter without having to force its way in. In the ritual of a formal Zen meal, a portion of grain and a sip of tea are offered to the demons and spirits. It never hurts to appease the demonic and hungry parts of the soul, to have empty empathy for the neglected, the mad, the beggar on the street. In meditation, we offer our time, the fluid of our very life, to the demons. That's an interesting comparison, isn't it? We've done that in intensives where we've everyone puts a part of their meal in a little bowl and then we take it outside after the meal and bury it. Mm. And in, in um, the Torah study that I did today, we were reading about um, a, a, a similar thing of, um, what was it? Oh, that, that the first crop, the firstborn of your animals, all the good stuff that comes first, you're to give away either as sacrifice or to the poor. And then you take the second stuff that comes. So it's a similar idea. But the idea in meditation that you're offering your time the fluid of our very life to the demons is interesting. But are, are those um, demons of your own mind? What do you think? I don't know. Um, I didn't know there were demons in the Zen meal. I don't know that either. <laughs> there's, there's, there's tree spirits. I don't know, Emily. You're, I think you, I don't know, but he he um, he stretches things, doesn't he? Sure. Yeah. Well, it, it makes it difficult to understand, perhaps. I mean, I don't know. Sometimes we, you know, I get lost. Uh, 
just lost in the complexity of the presentation. What happened to the simplicity? And, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm asking maybe <laughs> for some, some I, explanation. I Darkness, the bright, you know, the, the book is the light in the darkness. And of course, there is uh, two sides. And he, he talked earlier about how at first you don't see any light in the darkness. That's when you would come to a psychiatrist, right? <laughs> no, no, no. It is, I don't know. I mean, they, they, you know, or you go to, to a, someone, a specialist or someone who knows the darkness. Uh, you know, it is, it's a matter of, you know, what kind of, you know, darkness we are talking about. We, you know, I, I know a little bit of the trade, but I am still studying and trying to make sense of the many other aspects of the soul or, or the mind, basically. You know, and of course, we are interested in mindfulness, practice, and all of that. But yeah, it, it is, it's a very complex world, actually. You know, I mean, I, unfortunately, I have some issue with my vision, and it has been causing my you know, problem for me to pursue, pursue my, you know, you know, goals, but I'm not giving up, <laughs> basically. I'm, I'm trying, you know, with the Kindle and all the other sources. Yeah. But, Do you want the type still bigger? Would that help? No, no, no. It's, it's okay. It's okay. okay. I, I'm more interested in, in this context, actually. Okay. I, I really am. I'm, I'm, Looking forward to maybe feedbacks. I see this as kind of a, a Carl Jung's integration of the shadow self. Uh, I don't know, like um, considering our our shadow self, our our darkness. Uh, that would be the offering of our time to it. That's kind of how I see it. Mm -hmm. Well, but then there, there has been other, you know, people and other uh, explanations about the self and, and, you know, so I think we, we know more, more than what, you know, Freud knew or Carl Jung knew. Yeah. Yeah, there is, there's much more knowledge and there's, and it's it's becoming more there's it's becoming more light. <laughs> okay, who's reading now? I think it's you. Me? I think so. And what is that word, cuvade? I don't know that word. Let's Google it. I don't think we have uh, look up selected word. Does this work here? No. There we go. A practice among some people as the Basquies of Spain, in which a man immediately preceding the birth of his child 
takes to his bed in an enactment of the birth experience and subjects himself to various taboos usually associated with pregnancies. Okay, now we know. Never knew that. There is also the custom of cuvade that anthropologists favored in which the husband of a pregnant woman shares her labor groaning and holding his belly while she delivers. This too is emphatic. The man not only pays the dark and averts evil, envy, sorry, he deepens his link to life, to the pain of birth itself and to the woman who bears the child. <coughs> By sharing the woman's burden, he becomes receptive to her joy. When something wonderful comes our way, it is good, good to do the dishes, not from a pur puritan rejection of joy, but in order to make ourselves open to the increase of life. From an understanding, at least partly aesthetic, of the way balance occurs. From an understanding, at least partly aesthetic, of the way balance occurs in the world and a desire to fit ourselves in with it. Sweeping the floor is also joy. The ordinary too is the unique. This is why when the student comes to the meditation teacher with a great experience of awakening, the teacher says, don't worry, it will pass. <laughs> and that happened to me, not that I had a great experience. I had, you know, a, a many, many, many experience and I said it to this teacher who was visiting and he said, don't worry, it will pass. <laughs> <clears throat> May do you want to read? Uh, I will try. This is, okay. is this the to pay the dark is to carry the stone of our own suffering to pay, asking for nothing. The courage with which we bear our darkness free, frees others from having to carry it for us. The task is not only to purify ourselves, to raise our affairs toward heaven. Our sacrifice also draws, draws the spirit down into our common lives, which is where it belongs. In this way, the light penetrates and the sweet colors stain us through. Then we find new guides, uh, meaning character and 
integrity, which medi mediates between the spirit and our human fate. It's getting oh, into psychology. Getting into is, psychology. <laughs> this is such a different view. You know, from all the self-help books, if you walk into a bookstore where you're trying, you know, to fix everything that goes wrong, as opposed to trying to acknowledge this is part of life, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, that's, you know, one real thing that I'll take away from this book is, is, oh, my parents didn't tell me this. <laughs> You want to stop here rather than start a new chapter? So what we do is, is uh, we take 10 minutes now and we write or sit or meditate or sing or dance or draw. And then we meet back and, you know, whatever like went through us. So we'll okay. meet back at yes. 801. Okay. Someone talk. Cody, Emily, Malen, can't see you. I'm here. It was I'm here. I'm here. Okay. Yeah, I'm here. I'm here too. Who would like to share? You're going to make me share first. Sure. <laughs> Do it. Please. My. my <laughs> My parents never told me about darkness. They had both seen it, losing a beloved parent as children. But we were shielded, not going to funerals, nor even being told when friends of the family died. Life is for the living, my Pollyanna mom would say. Yet at the end, she spoke of her depression, even though she described her life as heaven on earth. And then the drawing. Wow. Okay. I had a teacher who said, this was in college, and he said, um, He said something like, it was really neat. He said something like, I understand you when you're sensitive, it's going to be tough or something. Hmm. Mr. Clark, that was his name, Mr. Clark. Hmm. Maybe it was Dr. Clark, I don't know. Well, so it's it's good to be sensitive or not to, not too good. <laughs> yeah, he just said this is going to happen to you. You know, <laughs> life's going to be troublesome sometime. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what a parent could have said too. You know, like, how about mm -hmm. you guys? Did your parents tell you that life is not always a bowl of cherries? <laughs> you know oh, that there there was a book called that. I can't remember the woman who wrote it about a bowl of cherries. 
life is a bowl of cherries. Nobody knows about that. I'm just oh. aware of the life is like a box of chocolates. <laughs> uh, I never heard of the bowl. Of, I never heard of the bowl of cherries. Here we go. I'm going to share it. <laughs> I, I, I can say that <clears throat> my, you know, a few beloved teachers, they were very positive about life. They were uh, very enthusiastic and uh, scholars trying their best and yeah, challenging the students as well. But a lot of positivity I was, you know, exposed to during through my teachers regarding life and just persistence and trying and doing and and hopeful hopefulness so you know it was more towards you know a uh, future you know planning and you know rather than giving too much into the darkness <laughs> the darkness is there it's always there well we we were taught that if we strategize and live right there won't be any darkness that in a sense this is a failing my mom even thought that all illness was psychosomatic you know that uh, you, you were weak or neurotic if you got sick well, there's a truth. There's a truth to it. <laughs> her, she was she was a she was a, a Freudian. Her training was well, in, as a psychosomatic, uh, psycho whatever therapist. Yeah, yeah, that's one aspect of the psych. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's just the manifestation of uh, many other, you know, difficulties, but. Uh, yeah, I think I was exposed to lots of positivity and I, I um, you know, I, I really good memories of my teachers and all that. So, But did they tell you the truth that there'd be darkness? Uh, there was darkness. There, oh. there was a lot of darkness. Yes, of course. Of course. What about you, Emily? You talked about darkness at nine this morning. Uh, I think there are aspects to ourself. I think that we have to acknowledge. And sometimes there's a bit of suffering that goes along with acknowledging some of the aspects of ourselves. Uh, but I think it's important to acknowledge certain things and consider certain things because the more you sort of, the more I have delayed acknowledging or considering scary things or unpleasant things about myself, the longer I've sat in this scary sort of darkness, avoiding important uh, realizations and new discoveries. So uh, I have found 
avoidance has been a big stumbling block in my life and it's yeah through this group that it's been nice to sort of come to terms with uh the fact that, that some things you don't have to avoid it's just a lot easier to stop yeah. avoiding and <clears throat> just regard it as life Yeah, and, and that is exactly where sometimes we all need some kind of an outsider, you know, guidance pointing to what we are doing or what, where we are rather than, you know, somewhere better. Mm -hmm. But it needs a, um, some kind of a skillful, knowledgeable and, you know, two-side a family or a teacher or a guidance guide sort of illuminate. I mean, the, the, these general words are pretty general, but it can be very specific and helpful to each person and each, each moment of life. And, you know, I, I know some of them and I'm, I'm still learning more <laughs> about how to get into from darkness to the light and from, you know, denial or avoidance and, and then, you know, it can be called, uh, you know, defenses, basically, mm. being defensive. Yeah. I think there's an interesting bit of work that has to be done on an individual basis and yet also because everything is interconnected there has to be um, a unity with the outside as well with someone with mm -hmm. others yes either it's a group or is it another trusted person and it can be abomada it can be more than that <laughs> It can be a family, good family. It can be a good spouse, good friend. My oldest sister was um, beautiful and bright and well-educated and then married a rich man, you know, all the good things. And then her world kind of fell apart and she drank herself to death. And I oh always thought it was, it, was, it was that she had never experience any darkness until a certain point she hadn't had that experience you know she kind of aced everything yeah. up to a certain point yeah she, my 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 the middle sister i'm the youngest but she you know she had plenty of difficulty she had yeah. uh, eye problems she had all kinds of problems and she did much better hmm. Yeah. Uh, here's a song uh, sung by Judy Garland uh, called Life is Just a Bowl of Cherries. Do you want to hear it? Yes. <laughs> okay. I have to leave. Thank you very much. Okay. Bye-bye, Melinda. Bye. Bye. It's just a minute long. If it comes up.
Oh, sorry. Life is just a bowl of cherries. Don't take it serious. Life's too mysterious. You work, you slave, you worry so, but you can't take your dough when you go, go, go. Keep repeating, it's the berries. The strongest oak must fall. The best things in life to you were just long. So how can you lose what you never own? Life is just a bowl of cherries. So curious about is what year that was wow beautiful 19 oh well she's she taped it in 1964 but <laughs> oh it's beautiful anyway but anyway that that uh was kind of maybe from world war ii and you know that things were so tough that people just wanted to make life beautiful well, that's that's the function of the arts, Kim. We need art so we can go through life. That's the beauty. That's that's where the art. You know, that's my understanding. And, and how about love? Different. Love. And that too. is sure. That is all uh, expression of expressiveness in 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 any some kind of a form of an art. And that is, you know, how a human being has been, uh, you know, coping and dealing <laughs> and solving everything. No, it was wonderful that you played that. I mean, I enjoyed it. So there is hope. <laughs> <laughs> Cody, what's up for you? Uh, You've seen a lot of darkness, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, and and I used to and I used to drink a lot because of it, <clears throat> but I don't really do that. I don't do that at all anymore. Um, you know, I just try to turn that darkness into find the light in in the darkness. You know, I go run, go for a run, or you know, do something like that. 
or or sit. So it's so yeah, you know, it's it's been it's been a lot of darkness. And like I say, it's uh it's like that revolving door, you know, is you hit a high and you hit a low and then it, it just I don't know, it seems like it's inevitable. But you have also some beautiful light and you have a beautiful family and you live in a nice place and Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's you know, that's that's one thing that um, I guess you could say not really like the fruits of the labor, but, you know, it's kind of like one one of those things to like look to be proud of, be happy, happy about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's life. You made it. <laughs> made it to happen. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Until next week. Yes, thank you. Thank you, Kim. Until next week. Have a good week, everyone. Thank you so Have much. Have a good week. Oh. What, Cody? No, no, I was just waving. Oh, okay. Okay, see you all. Bye. 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 Bye.